Welcome to the Knowing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Bachman, a licensed professional counselor. On the show, we explore who the real Jesus is with his love, with his power, and with his endless pursuit of humanity, with the hope of changing our lives. Good morning. It is so good to be back podcasting. I actually have two other episodes that are almost finished, but because of the nature of content, I just wanted to pray about it and really edit them to make sure they they line up both with scripture and they're done in love. Um, But so there's more to look forward to. Hopefully, I know I keep, you'll hear me say this on those episodes I recorded like three months ago, that hopefully I can get more into a better rhythm of things. Um, Our kiddo is doing so much better um, having had colic. Uh, Sorry if I haven't addressed that yet. So you're like, what is he even talking about? But he just really wouldn't stop crying for like almost three months straight. It was rather difficult. Wouldn't sleep during the day. Um, And Ashley and I were really struggling. And so it didn't seem very wise or authentic uh, to be trying to do a podcast when we were in survival mode. Uh, So I took an unintentional sabbatical there just so that we could be healthy, both individually and together. Um, And we could focus on our son. And it took us a long time to ask for help, which was sad because that could have made life easier. So encouragement to everyone out there, if you are struggling in life, please ask for help. Don't let our society's uh, pressures that you're supposed to have it all together or you look on Facebook and it looks like people have it all together. Uh, First of all, lies. Um, (laughs) No one has it all together. uh, And it is okay and good. Um, As people of God, we are encouraged to be humble, to ask for help, to offer help when we're able to give it. So just to encourage you, don't be like us and unintentionally slash intentionally proud and not asking for help. With that said, today, um, as I said, we're jumping ahead. So if you're if you're an avid listener, you're going to notice, man, we're skipping a couple chapters. We'll get to those verses as soon as I'm able to again edit things. And last order of business before we dive in, I just want to give a shout out to Feedspot, who was so kind to uh, feature the Knowing Jesus podcast in the top 100. Uh, biblical-based podcasts. You're going to see a link in description. You can check that out. Check them out. Thank you so much for doing that. That's very kind of you all to honor us, uh, me, whatever, like that. And without further ado, uh, we're jumping into John chapter 14, verses 6 through, I think, 14. I just lost track of my notes, but we'll finish somewhere around there. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus replied, Philip, I have been with you all this time, and still you do not know me? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own. Instead, it is the Father dwelling in me, performing his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the accounts of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I am doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, 
so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. Switching over to the processing part for today, I am just amazed uh, right off the bat with the text saying that, where did it go? Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I am doing. He will do even greater things than these. That's just hard to even comprehend. Jesus raises people from the dead. Jesus feeds 5,000, and I think a second time 4,000. I think I'm getting the numbers right. He feeds people. He miraculously produces food. He heals people. He speaks truth and love to a generation, and people's lives are transformed and changed. I want to encourage us all to just really note, at least in my experience, what I'm seeing here, I think Jesus is uh, inviting us into the heart of the Father. The Father delights in us, his children, and he is a giving Father who instead of, you know, think of us as human beings, when we tend to get recognition or power, we hoard it for ourselves, we get haughty, we, we, we get very protective, we don't share very well. Ironically, there's, there's often uh, times you see people that ha- the more they have, the more they cling on to what they have. Uh, and the less they have, they might be more willing to give it away because they don't put their faith or hope in the power, the materials, the wealth. And why do I say that? Because our Father is not insecure like human beings are. So when we have a lot, we might be afraid of losing, and so we don't necessarily think to give. And our Father owns everything in this universe. He is the ultimate authority. He is ultimate in wisdom and prosperity and goodness and power, all the things and glory. And he wants to bring us up. So he's not saying you you slugs stay down there. You're unworthy. You're bad. You're not like me. He sees our sin. He sees our brokenness, our need for transformation, and, and quite literally our spiritual and in every other aspect, our poverty, and he invites us to become, and I, we're going to unpack this, but I think it's important to say wealthy uh, sons and daughters. Now, I don't mean wealthy when, when you think, oh my gosh, I'm going to win the lottery. Oh my gosh, prosperity gospel. Oh my gosh, money. I'm talking about wealthy, like I have the riches of knowing Jesus, which is the greatest rich, riches. I have freedom to forgive those who have wronged me, and I don't have to live in bitterness and resentment because I can forgive people who have done terrible things to me. I can offer grace and compassion because I have an identity that is built on knowing Jesus and the love of the Father and identity he has given me, and so I am not as pushed around by fear that this age would do to someone who's not putting their faith and identity in Jesus. That's the kind of wealthy I'm talking about. I'm almost even afraid to use that word uh, because I think people can so get that blown out of context. I'm quite aware that there's a prosperity gospel that I would argue is very anti-gospel. That's not how God works. He doesn't say, if you pray enough or do enough, I will give you monetary things. God does make many promises about if we serve him and do well, he will bless aspects of our life. And I can give you a testimony, any testimonies on like how, what that has meant, not monetarily, but relationally. 
building a better relationship with my wife, building better relationships with human beings. Actually, not perfectly, but at times, having a deep sense of contentment and, and just appreciation of, for beauty and even ordinary things. To me, that is great wealth. I've worked with so many incredibly powerful, wealthy people, and they're miserable. And it's just a, a, a great testimony for me to see. Or, 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 it, it, it highlights the truth of God's word that money and power, the things that this world say you need, you need that new car, you need that bigger house, you need whatever it is, it will make you happy. Our entire economy is built on being dissatisfied and frankly miserable. And it's very sad and very corrupt. And it's been such a helpful tool for me to see in the counseling room. Wow, Brian, don't be deceived. No matter how much money you have, money actually doesn't make people happy. It often can make them quite miserable. Because when you get what you want and you realize how empty it is, uh, I think of, this is, sorry if I'm all over the place, still probably suffering from, from baby brain. <laughs> but I think of uh, NF. Uh, he's a phenomenal rapper. Please check him out. Amazing Christian rapper. And he had this, uh, I think it's in his newest album called Hope. He has this line uh, it's, he's not rapping anymore. It's even, I think, an interview or something, and he just has this 30-second clip, and he talks about the most miserable he was in his life as a man who struggled with depression his entire life. The most miserable he was wasn't before he achieved success, wasn't when he was wondering and hoping, will I get a record deal? Will I be able to pay my bills? He talks about the most miserable part uh, time in his life was when his shows were booked his albums were selling, and he, I think he, I mean, whether it went gold, platinum, I mean, he was selling plenty, making millions of dollars, sought after. He had basically achieved his dreams. And he was telling this uh, person, it was the most miserable in his life because he no longer could make the excuse that I can just chase the wind. If I just get X amount of money or accomplish X thing, then I will be happy. In one sense, like God gives us the greatest grace by sometimes giving us the things that we want, even though they definitely aren't the desires he places in our hearts. So in this instance, fame, wealth, uh, status, God was kind to give NF those things. Nate, oh gosh, I can't even pronounce his last name, so I'm not going to try. But um, God was gracious enough to give him those things and then show him son these aren't good enough. I mean, they can be fun, they can be exciting, they can be really joyful things to celebrate, but they are not the solid rock of Christ and the identity and the joy of adoring Jesus that we can have. And by no means, and hopefully it doesn't come across this way, I'm not criticizing Nate. My goodness, I've been there dozens of times myself, not in the level of success he's achieved, but various milestones in my life where if I just do this, if I just get married, if I just have a kiddo, if I just have a, a private practice that is thriving, um, then I can finally be okay. And those things in of themselves are good, but they're not ultimate things. So went off on kind of a tangent there, but swinging back to the heart of the Father. That's right, we were defining, I'm going to say, a, re a redeeming view on what wealth is, that it definitely doesn't emphasize money, but it's a flourishing life. Maybe that's a better term for it. The Father wants to invite us into his kingdom, doing his works, and living in his economy. What does that mean? 
That means he wants to allow us to walk in the ways of Jesus and doing things that we could never do on our own strength. I am drawing a blank right now, but I know there's a number of times in my life where I loved someone that was that was difficult to love. You know, side point, I'm difficult to love too. I'm not better than other people, but someone I found personally difficult to love. Um, I know there's times where I just didn't have much social energy and I felt God give me an extra grace to be kind to someone. I've randomly prayed for people that then would see like some really cool thing later down in their life that I was like, I don't know why I'm praying for this person. I barely know. And then would find out some really cool thing. I was like, wow, that's actually like related to what I was praying. And that's not me praying. That's the spirit praying inside of us. See, what's so cool here is, and I'll pull the screen back. There's so much of my Christian walk that I often thought I was the one that was doing the good works or had to do the good works. And friends, at least in my experience and what I see in scripture so far, um, is that is very incorrect. And my role is to be an empty vessel and invite my Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit to do the works that they've already been wanting to do. it's, it's humbling. I have to get out of the way and say, actually, I can't do these things in my power. I know, I know who I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm really messed up and broken. And, and don't do the good that I know uh, I should do. And so God the Father is inviting us to do good works in the name of Jesus and to rely on his power. And he's offering us a great kindness that we do not have to be, nor can we be, the ones who muster up righteousness, the ones who muster up the strength to accomplish, but rather he's asking us to rely on him. So it's not about us. It's about relying on the great power of Jesus and his work to accomplish these things and not in our own strength. So even right there, I want to encourage you, if you're someone who uh, most of my life, you know, if you relate to my story of like, man, I feel like I just have to work so hard and figure this all out on my own and figure out how to just do these good works and you feel pressure, I invite you to do two things. One, talk to your heavenly father like you would a human being, right? So that means, you know, not worrying about the words that you're saying, just worrying about the honest, authentic heart you're bringing to him. It's okay to not have the answers. (laughs) My favorite prayers are when I'm just like, God, I have no idea. Like, all I know is I need help. And I'm so thankful that you know what I don't even know to ask for. And scripture tells me that Jesus himself is praying for me. And I'm thankful that you want me to flourish. So that's one thing is taking your honest heart to God. And another is surrounding yourself with Christian, uh, I would argue, uh, same-sex brothers and sisters, right? So, you know, I'm a dude, so I'm going to hang around a lot of dudes and say, especially as a married guy, hey, like, help me learn how you pursue Jesus and growing together in that. Um, Another beautiful part about God's kingdom is the person who's like a baby Christian and the person who is more mature, you know, in their walk, they can both learn from each other. Like God's spirit, if you're a Christian, God's spirit lives inside of you. 
So the creator of the universe, the one who holds all the wisdom in the universe, can speak through you, can give you insight. That doesn't mean we walk around thinking, well, everything I say is just God. No, that's not true. Like We have to be very humble and very open to like, man, I'm trying to listen to the voice of God, but we can all miss the mark. Um, so surrounding ourselves in Christian community and then asking our Heavenly Father, like, teach me to receive, teach me to see myself as this child, as this daughter, as this son, who you are wanting to lift up. Again, so the, the, you know, the challenging part of scripture in the text is like, we're sinners, we're broken, we have nothing, we seem screwed. <laughs> the great other side is God's like, I didn't leave you that way. I came to build a bridge that you couldn't cross. And not only am I rescuing you from your depravity, I, God, wants to lift you up into sons and daughters of the king of kings. He wants to make us princes and princesses. I mean, that sounds like a fairy tale. It's awesome. I'm going back to the beginning of where we read today. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would know my Father as well. Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. Man, I am intrigued and blown away by... <laughs> Scripture calls itself you know, a living text. It's sharp, it's living, it's alive. Why is that cool? Why is that relevant? Well, it was written approximately 2,000 years ago, and I don't know about you, but I liked the book Pride and Prejudice, but I think I still had written an updated version from when it was written, what, like 150-ish years ago? Sorry if I'm way off there. I'm not great with dates and history and time. Um, why is that significant? That was only 150 years ago, and it has to be written um, for us to maybe, it takes a lot of time to understand some of the, the context and some of the things aren't going to apply anymore, right? It was just a different time in, in history. What's fascinating, although, some of that does apply to scripture, right? Like there's cultural things. We have to do a lot of archaeology, uh, uncovering, studying, historical things. But there's so many truth nuggets that even if you didn't know all of that stuff, you can still learn. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And here's one of them. That this text that's 2,000 years old is speaking to the human heart and condition. I am the way, truth, and life. Here we are in the most, on one end, advanced society and history of the human race with technology, artificial intelligence becoming a real thing, self-drivable cars becoming a real thing, um, all kinds of inventions that would just generally blow, heck, people in our day and age minds out of the water, let alone just 50 to 100 years ago. And even with all the sometimes progress and sometimes regression that we go through, uh, we are still as ever lost as we were 2,000 years ago, as we were 4,000 years ago, as we were whatever amount of time ago. I think it's very significant that Jesus is saying he is the way because many of us are lost. And he's saying, I am the signpost. I am the road to follow. I am the billboard, the, the Siri navigation that you need to point you in the right direction. He is the truth. Again, truth has been like intensely under fire uh, probably the last 100 
to maybe 200 years, this idea of deconstructionism, like what do things actually mean? Does anything mean anything? Postmodernism, I might even be using some of those words wrong, forgive me. Um, the idea of what, you know, truth being incredibly relative, and there is some validity sometimes, things aren't black and white, that is a, a good pushback to realize, but there are many times that there are black and white. And so Jesus is saying, I am the truth. He was the truth 2,000 years ago. He was the truth before the beginning of the world. And he still is the truth, even though we claim to have all the answers in general as society. And he's life. Something that we human beings, I can't imagine we would ever be able to cure uh, death. We can't stop death. We might prolong it. We might um, sometimes save people, but we can't stop death. These three things, way, directions, finding the path, the truth, needing grounded truth that doesn't change every time our feelings get hurt, every time we're confused, every time something new comes about. Truth that remains consistent in life. Whether that's like literal, like the second we're born, sadly, our body's already starting to decay um, and literal death as we pass away, or <laughs> quoting NF again here. I've been listening to his new album, so uh, check it out. But the idea that, and he's not the first person to say this, but you can live without being alive. There's people that, that die without ever living. There's people that are technically breathing, that never fully live. And friends, Jesus is the only way to get that real life. Like to feel truly and fully alive. You know, sometimes in my story, I've been so upset and frustrated with God. God, why did you allow me to have depression for 30 years? God, why did I feel so isolated and alone and socially just completely and utterly inept to the point I just wonder, like, am I like, mildly autistic? Like, I feel like I have no have often had no social skills in my life. God, why would you make it so that I felt so, like I needed someone to help me show the way. I don't feel like I had role models and people helping me along. I felt very alone. And God, why would you allow me to put all of my faith and hope in businesses and other things that I tried to start in college and then crashed miserably? And in some strange way, I actually like thank him for those things because I've seen that no matter how many friends you get, no matter how much love you get in life, no matter how much you know success and comfort you can attain in life, and sure, no, I have not really ever uh, achieved some kind of celebrity status. Gosh, no, nor do I want that. I hope I'm never like a household name. I hope that I can just be someone in the background. Um, but even if I were to achieve that money, it would still be true that none of that is sufficient or is the same as knowing God. Do you know how fun it is? I didn't used to know this, but to look at something really, really beautiful. I might sound like really, like, like you're going to be like, wow, this guy has really low standard, uh, low bar. I love evergreen trees. I don't know why. I think they're so pretty. And I love the fact that even though it's winter, they still shine and show a sign of life. Do you know how fun it is to look at something you really love and adore and know where you can place that joy and delight in the one who designed it and the one who made it and the one who's already enjoying it before you start enjoying it and you share that moment together? (laughs) 
because they're saying, God, this is beautiful. Like, this is really pretty. These flowers are beautiful. This garden that you've let me build, these strawberry plants, even though every strawberry is eaten by a, a lovely and yet disturbing little chipmunk and squirrel, it's beautiful and it's good, and I get to share that with my maker. And not every time, but sometimes I get to sense is like, yes, my son, you're doing it right. You don't just sit in that delight in your own heart and your own work and, and, and don't attribute it to anyone or anything. You attribute it to me, your father, and we enjoy it together. I encourage you, the next time you do or experience or see something beautiful, whether you're sailing, whether you're rowing, whether you're hiking, whether you're singing, whether you're playing the piano, whether you're driving and just enjoy uh, the beauty uh, maybe you really enjoy bringing order out of chaos. I know there's people like this that you're working on that spreadsheet and you got it right. You figured out the problems. Rejoice and delight in your father. Do it with him. The God who ex nihilo, out of nothing, created order from chaos. Every time we bring order to the chaos in this world, we are being image bearers. And reflecting our Father. And He desires for you and I to delight in reflecting who He is. So, our main points, though I'm always all over the place, um, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Our Father has an incredibly high view of humanity. He wants to lift us up, not to God's status, but He wants to share His glory. He wants to share His goodness. He wants to share the beauty and magnificence of who he is because he's put his fingerprints on us. And so let us reflect on him and invite him into what even seems like the mundane in our lives. Um, last thought, I guess, yeah, I thought I had a last thought, you know, probably three thoughts ago, but I think it was two weeks ago at the Journey West County. Um, I think it was Brett Vaden, um, great associate pastor there. He was sharing about work and he did such an excellent job of talking about how we as Americans, at least, I can't speak for other you know, cultures, um, my impression is we often just hate the mundane. Oh, actually, I was just joking about this with my wife. <laughs> Why can't we just do the dishwasher like once a month? It's never done. I'm always having to do bottles. I'm always having to do the dishes. I'm always having to sweep the floor so we don't invite bugs into our home. And right, do you hear how I'm like being like curmudgeon right now? There's a way to do that and say like, man, sure, like my heart longs for Eden where maybe things don't break down as fast. And yet my heart has been infiltrated by this culture and saying these aren't mighty things that we're doing. Like I have to do something that seems really big and flashy. And uh, Brett Vaden was sharing how actually... Why aren't we doing our daily tasks in the presence of and in communication with our Father and recognizing that He has allowed and made us to do what seem like mundane tasks? What can we learn from these mundane tasks? And even think about how Jesus Himself entered mundane tasks. Uh, he was a carpenter for 30 years. Man, I often forget that. 30 years on the grind. I can't imagine hot, desert-like conditions being a carpenter um, in a time in history where I don't think 
the people of the area ever like wore shorts and short sleeves. So like, what the heck? <laughs> like, you just talk about sweating, being miserable. Jesus worked really hard for 30 years as a carpenter. Like, that would seem pretty mundane. Especially, like, he could have taken the view, I am the son of God. <laughs> what, what am I doing this lowly carpentry task? And side note, I don't think carpentry, carpentry is a lowly task, but it's easy, I think, for us all to complain about our profession. Um, he could have said, I'm above this. I, I should be saving the world right now. I should be doing some miracles right now. Something, quote-unquote, flashier. But we can only imagine and believe that Jesus did every task with a joyful spirit unto his father as if he was presenting his dad uh, a new piece of furniture, um, a new tool or device. I'm sure he worked unto his father and worshiped him for the ability to work with his hands and his feet and to create and to make and to bear the image of God. So all that to say, like it's easy to get stuck in the mundane tasks and my heart needs it. I know we probably all need it to see God throughout our day and the exciting things, the fun things, the beautiful things and what seems like the mundane and inviting him to shift our hearts. Well, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for following this. Uh, I almost call myself an old man. Oh my gosh, I'm not. Old man, sometimes I feel like I have an old soul. But uh, listening to this uh, mildly young, middle, uh, middle of the road fellow here as he thinks out loud and tries to seek Jesus more. 